Welcome to the Diet Talk Movement podcast for episode one of our three-part series on disordered eating. We have invited our dear friend and the Diet Doc's vice president and health psychologist, Dr. Corey Probst, into this conversation. She eloquently broaches the topic on clinical eating disorders such as anorexia and bulimia, binge eating, and disordered eating behaviors. Hello, everybody. It is Meredith and Alexa of the Diet Doc Movement and the infamous Dr. Corey Probst of the Diet Doc is joining us today to talk about a pretty serious topic. And um, it's so involved that we're actually going to have a few parts to this series. So Corey, thank you so much for being here to share your expertise on the topic. Yeah, you bet. Thank you guys for having me. We figured this first episode is to dive into eating disorders in, we'll say, the traditional facet of the term. And you definitely are a specialist with this for so many reasons, but a lot of the demographic and the clientele that you work with are with individuals that have struggled with disordered eating and eating disorders. So I'd love to hear a little bit about how you initially got in and involved with this population? Yeah, sure. So I certainly wouldn't call myself an expert. I just want to put that out there first. I don't, I don't think I'm an expert on anything, to be honest, but um, I will say that I have, I have personal experience in disordered eating. Um, I've never, I was never uh, diagnosed with an eating disorder, but we could look at all of the symptoms that I had and certainly say, yes, she's disordered. This is a dysfunctional relationship with food. And this was a dis- dysfunctional relationship with body image. Um, and because of my personal experience and, and, you know, I had an interest in it early on because I was just interested in nutrition and that was brought up in a lot of my graduate courses. And so I did a lot of reading on, on the different eating disorders, really got kind of sucked down the, the rabbit hole um, of, of the topic itself and very much from a psychological perspective and an emotional perspective. And all of the different reasons why an individual would find themselves um, in in these dysfunctional spaces and places with food and their body, uh, the different sorts of situations and circumstances that might prompt this controlling sort of behavior and emotionality around food. Um, And how one can best start to tease apart the different facets of it and heal and recover from something like that. So, and I would love to, to explore the different facets of kind of the clinical definitions of, of an eating disorder or the specific, mm-hmm. if you can kind of dive into that, that facet of the circumstance. Yeah, so there are, there are a number of eating disorders that can be diagnosed, but then there are those that are not even in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Disorders. Um, but let's look at the ones that actually can be diagnosed first. And the one that a lot of people have probably heard of is anorexia. And 
with anorexia to be diagnosed with that disorder, there are certain criteria that have to be met. One of them is restriction of energy intake relative to what we would expect an individual would need to maintain um, maintain a certain body weight in the context of age, in the context of sex, in the context of their developmental path um, and overall physical health. And if, if one is diagnosed with anorexia, I mean, we're looking at labs and I'll just say from personal experience, despite not having a diagnosis, what prompted significant concern for my health was a significant amount of weight loss. I mean, it was incredibly obvious. Um, and then when I went to my medical doctor, it was how low, when they did a fasting blood glucose test, how low my, my glucose levels were. Um, and and I, can, I can go into the, that whole story if you want to, but um, that was what <laughs> prompted some pretty serious intervention, not to the point of hospitalization, not to the point of even um, necessarily like intensive outpatient therapy or anything like that. But um, my doctor really saying to me, Corey, you're killing yourself. And if this doesn't stop soon, you will die. Um, for a lot of people, <clears throat> it takes a lot more than that. Um, it takes a lot more than concern from a couple individuals in, in their life to make a change. Fortunately, that was enough for me. <laughs> and it, it didn't happen overnight because my mom, as she's seeing these changes occur, and I was in college at the time, but I would come home you know, periodically for breaks and she'd see how much weight I was losing and would express concern about it and I would just kind of ignore it. I knew she was concerned, but I didn't want to hear it. Um, and I can't even remember how long it, it actually took before I had that, that blood test and then got that information from, from my doctor. And at that point, I was like, I, my intention wasn't to die. I didn't want to die. I just, I, I needed to figure out how to live because the, the behaviors that I was engaging in were a way of trying to control very anxiety provoking and um, very difficult emotions that I didn't know how to manage and cope with. Um, I think this next question that I'm going to ask you could stem into an entirely full podcast on the topic, but I'm glad that you started to bring up not just the physiological change, um, but the psychological component to it. And I, I think that that is a massive component of clinical eating disorders. And if you could share, if you're comfortable sharing maybe your experience with the psychological strain throughout the healing process, post-healing, during the, you know, the eating disorder, I think it would be really powerful for people to understand it's not just food. Oh, no, 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 no. It's, I'll oftentimes say it's not about the food. Um, and I mean, it is because with anorexia specifically, most people aren't eating enough. Um, but it doesn't start because... <laughs> we have a food issue. It starts because of 
um, a lack of skill, a lack of an ability to be with difficult emotion. A lot of times individuals with eating disorders have significant trauma histories. Um, and so the healing really involves uh, compassionate, learning how to be compassionate with yourself and, and finding a, a, a team of individuals. And that might be someone who's helping you focus on the food like a registered dietitian, um, a psychologist and or a psychiatrist. You, there might be medications involved, um, but, but it's a whole team approach. Um, so that you have you have the support and you have you have individuals who can guide you um, because especially with anorexia, you know when you're that medically compromised, um, your body's not functioning, which means your brain's not functioning. <laughs> um, it, there's a reason why most individuals who are diagnosed with anorexia aren't having periods anymore. The, the body's not the body isn't getting enough nourishment in order to even function with a period uh, for individuals who identify as female. Um, and, you know, that it's interesting because in our line of work, that, that is sometimes, and especially within the, the bodybuilding or physique community, sometimes that's like a, um, it's a badge of honor. Yeah. I haven't had my period in like a year. Well, that's, really concerning information <laughs> because it means your body is not getting what it needs in order to function its best. Like it's literally said, you know what? We don't have the energy to even make this happen. So we're going to shut that off. Like it, it's, it, that is not, that's not a positive thing. Um, but in that community, it, <laughs> it's an indicator that your body fat is going down. And so we can become very myopically focused on that one goal, getting leaner and leaner and leaner. But to get back to the topic of, you know, the psychological sort of symptoms and ramifications, you know, another criteria for anorexia is an intense fear of gaining weight or becoming fat, um, even though underweight. Now I want to, I want to kind of, add a caveat to that because there is, um, there's another variable to this, which is um, atypical anorexia. You do not have to be significantly underweight to be diagnosed with anorexia. You can be any weight. You could be classified on the BMI chart as being overweight. You could be classified as on the BMI chart as being obese and still be anorexic and the body is not getting appropriate nourishment. So a lot of people who are in, it doesn't matter what size body, um, are significantly underfed and it's causing significant physical and psychological dysfunction. Um, you know, and part of that on the psychological side and the fear is this disturbance in the way that um, we perceive our bodies and the sizes and, and shape of our bodies and how much preoccupation there is and ruminating around our size and our shape and or our weight. Um, and what you see among individuals with anorexia too is this intense, intense 
um, sort of denial of the significance of the low body weight. Um, do some of the, the symptoms or the effects on the mind and the body of anorexia overlap with bulimia? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yes, for sure. They're all kind of intertwined. Um, and that's why it's so important not to just look at the, the individual diagnostic criteria because the emotional and the behavioral signs and, and symptoms can oftentimes mimic each other. But what's most important is to ask like, how is this person's quality of life affected? And how is this person's overall well-being in the context of their, uh, their relationship with food and their relationship with their bodies? Um, so, you're gonna see if someone has a diagnostic eating disorder or um, disordered eating that isn't, isn't diagnosable, you're gonna see dysfunction in the primary domains of their life, in their relationships, <laughs> at, at work, at home, their ability to concentrate, um, denial of hunger, um, there may be physical complaints like um, with abdominal pain or um, cold intolerance or feeling tired all the time, significant preoccupation with, with food, uh, with weight, with calories or fat grams or dieting or carbohydrates. Um, no matter the, the diagnosis, you may have someone who dresses in baggy clothes because they don't want to see their bodies or, you know, tight constricting clothing is, it's uncomfortable for them because they're, they're hyper vigilantly concerned around uh, the size and shape of their bodies. Limited social, um, social contact with people, afraid to be in environments where you're eating in front of others. Um, oftentimes, and this crosses all the lines of the eating disorders too, um, the individual may have a, an excessive and very rigid exercise routine. Um, and it doesn't matter whether they're injured. It doesn't matter whether it's pouring rain outside. It doesn't matter whether um, they're significantly fatigued. There's this obsessiveness around it. So, so much of those criteria that you described affect more than the individual that is experiencing the eating disorders. So I think uh, an intriguing topic to kind of turn to would be if we are the individual not with the eating disorder, but if we know somebody with that eating disorder, are there steps or either signs to look for or how can we help those around us that might be struggling with this? Yeah, well, you know, everything that I just listed are things that um, people who care about the individual can start looking out for and be kind of, you know, um, careful about seeing. It's, it's, a, it's a difficult situation because you never want to, like, blame the person you never want to get um, really aggressive with the person. And, you know, 
this is just in general. If, if something is happening in a relationship and we're concerned, like those aren't great ways to confront a person, right? Um, you know, I've had, I've had so many conversations with my mom around this and the helplessness that uh, the people who care about someone who is suffering uh, with something like this is so significant. They don't know what to say. They don't know what actions to take. When they do say something, they will often get um, or be met with like disdain or just be ignored. Um, and so it, it is very, very difficult. I think um, it's not something that you want to ignore though and just shove under the rug. I think it, it needs... It needs to be approached compassionately and gently and with um, a level of, of tenderness, again, without any blame, without any shame, without any guilt. Um, like, you know, I've noticed some things that really concern me. I love you. I care about you. Um, and I'd like to understand what you're going through. It's more like an invitation. Um, an invitation to engage in a dialogue if they're willing. You know, if it gets if it gets to the point where this person is um, very sig like significantly medically compromised, then sometimes it comes down to the point where you know, they're being hospitalized. They could die if they're not getting appropriate treatment. They need medical intervention, and there are a number of different types of treatment. Um, from very intense, like you're in the hospital with an IV, um, to like outpatient therapy. And oftentimes it really helps for an individual to be in therapy with someone, like it, someone they trust, of course. It doesn't always start that way, but family therapy has um, really been shown to be pretty critical and key for healing and recovery, because a lot of times it's the dynamics within the family system. If this person is an adolescent, or even if they're a young adult, um, it's dynamics within the family system that are that are impacting their sense of uh, helplessness or lack of ability to cope with their emotions and, and things like that. But I would say that a good resource would be the next Disorders Association, anyone can contact Anita, and they have a hotline, and they have counselors there that will talk to you if you have an eating disorder or if you're someone who cares about someone who you think might have an eating disorder, and they can give you information and advice and, and support. I find the way you described how to approach somebody um, with with an eating disorder where you have concern is to approach them with compassion and care. And I, I think that that's my hope for those that are struggling with an eating disorder, that they can approach themselves from a place of uh, compassion and care and concern, as opposed to this, you know, this control over discontentment with yourself. Absolutely especially if they are on that verge of knowing maybe they need the help, but aren't sure if they should admit to needing the help or wanting the change. So I hope that those words resonate with some of our listeners that either are struggling 
or know of somebody that are struggling and can kind of take some of this information and just strengthen themselves and their relationships with those that are um, struggling with these eating disorders. It's such a hard piece of it, the self-compassion piece. I often find that that's, you know, it's one of the most difficult pieces for individuals who are healing um, and in recovery to begin in incorporating on a very regular, consistent basis because uh, the, the critic is so loud in, inside, of, inside of their heads. Them not being good enough and needing to be different and needing to meet certain ideals. And there's, there's so much fear, but in terms of what you said about approaching someone like, we need to look at this person as someone who is, who is in pain um, and who needs, who needs support and guidance and, and love because a lot of times they're doing what they're doing because they don't feel like they have it. Well, this is some really sensitive subject, but a powerful subject. And I think that we had you broach the topic and explain anorexia and bulimia to our listeners it's it's more powerful because like you said you've you've experienced um eating disorders you've worked firsthand with individuals with them so we just thank you for your knowledge and for taking the time to spread the message of what it is and that it can be helped so we're so appreciative of Corey. thank you so much for being here thank you if you or someone you know is battling an eating disorder, please don't hesitate to contact the National Eating Disorders Association through text, call, or chat feature at nationaleatingdisorders.org.